Good morning, friends. Welcome to The Well. My name is Ryan Gear. I'm the pastor here. If you're new with us, you're our guest, and we're glad you're here. If you'd like to let us know you're here, just text the word WELCOME to 480-530-7234. It'll text you back with a digital connect card. Just fill that card out and tell us about yourself, and you'll get more information about The Well. We appreciate you being with us this morning. And today is week two of our new series, If God Gave You a Brain, It's Okay to Use It in Church. Over the past several years, we have seen an explosion of disinformation in our society, of a movement against reality, against facts. We've heard this phrase, alternative facts. There's been an assault on the free press, an assault on truth. We've seen a rise in distrust of science, including medical science, like when the CDC recommends that we wear masks during the COVID-19 pandemic, and there are people who refuse to do that and, and even attack science. And for those of us, especially who want to be followers of Jesus, it is alarming to us that some of the loudest voices against facts and reality and science and the loudest voices spreading disinformation are those who profess to be Christians. Some of the people who proclaim disinformation the loudest claim to follow Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that has prompted some of us who do want to follow Jesus to start asking questions about what it means to be a Christian in the United States. And I don't know if this is true of you. It's been true of me. I'm sure it's true of many of you who are watching. Have you found yourself wondering, can a thinking, culturally aware, intelligent person really be a Christian in the United States? Have you found yourself asking that question, even if you've never said it out loud. Or maybe you've asked the question, can a, can a thinking Christian, a thinking person who wants to follow Jesus, really be a part of a church in the United States with the way that religion is used for political reasons and, and what religion has become as we've seen this rise in Christian nationalism? Can I really be a part of a church? I've asked questions like that. And if I've asked questions like that, you probably have too. And I think there, there is even another question beneath those. And that's this. Can somebody who wants to be a follower of Jesus Christ, somebody who wants to be a Christian, use their brain? Or does being a Christian in the United States mean that you, you just blindly accept whatever you're told by politicians and religious leaders and get manipulated for political ends. Can a, can a thinking person in the United States be a Christian? Can a Christian in the United States use their brain? That's what we're talking about in this series. And, and here's where we're headed in this series. Last week, we started with the Bible in your brain, talking about the relationship between faith and reason. Today, we're talking about surviving disinformation and propaganda. Next week, we're going to welcome special guest Ezekiel Vitalzi, who spoke here just a few weeks ago. He's going to talk about interpreting the Bible intelligently. And then on January 31st, uh, we'll talk about the Bible and science, including the Bible and medical science. I'm excited about February 7th. We're going to talk about Christians, vaccines, and conspiracy theories. And on that day, I'm going to welcome special guest Jeremy Taylor who is uh, an infectious disease expert, and he's going to take about five or 10 minutes and explain how the COVID-19 vaccine works. And then on February 14th, we'll wrap up the series with special guest, Dr. Pete Enns. 
So please invite friends and uh, share these messages on, on Facebook, on your social media platforms, and join with us every Sunday. And we appreciate you being here this morning. Now, last week, uh, we saw that in 1765, the French philosopher Voltaire said something that translates roughly into English like this. Those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. And we saw at the Capitol building last week what happens when people believe absurdities. Voltaire was proven right once again. But the thing that we need to realize as people of faith is that when Voltaire wrote that quote, he was talking about religion. And we have seen time and time again throughout history what happens when religious people believe absurdities and, and the atrocities they can commit, whether it's religious wars or the Salem rich, uh, witch trials or opposing science and evolution in class when, when parents raise their kids thinking they need to argue with their biology teacher in high school when they teach evolution. We have seen countless examples of what happens when people believe absurdities. At the well, we say bad theology hurts people. Some of you, some of you have been hurt by religious people believing things that don't make any rational sense and they don't have any evidence for it and they don't have any real reasons for it. It's just they claim, well, the Bible says that and so that's what I believe and they just act like the Bible doesn't need to be interpreted. And in a sense, they don't use their brains and, and that hurts people. We want to be thinking Christians, people who follow Jesus, believing that God didn't create us with a brain and then just hopes we don't use it that much, but that God created us with a brain so that we can think deeply about our faith and what it means to follow God and how to be people who, who live in such a way that promotes human flourishing and dignity and goodness and beauty and truth in this world. We also said this series is not just about thinking. This series is not just an academic brainiac exercise like a thesis paper. The way we think influences the way we feel. That's the, that's the basis of cognitive behavioral therapy, actually. Our thoughts influence our feelings. So our beliefs influence the way we feel about life. Our, our heads and our hearts are connected, and we want this series to speak to both of those things, and, and today is no different. I want to start by asking you a question, and if you'd be willing to type something in the comments, if you would be willing to interact a little bit and, and, and express yourself and type something into the comments. If you would be honest and rate your anxiety level right now on a scale from one to 10, and be honest, I know a lot of times in, in church, we feel like we can't be honest about how anxious we're feeling. The scripture says, you know, do not be anxious about anything. And we feel like, oh, we're just not, we don't have enough faith if we, if we have a high anxiety level, but we want to be honest. On a scale from one to 10, one being you're swinging in a hammock in Hawaii and you have no anxiety at all, and 10 being you experience a level of anxiety every day that is disrupting your life. On a scale from one to 10, what is your anxiety level right now? Would you type that in the comments? You can elaborate on it if you'd like, you don't have to. You could just type a number from one to 10 and you don't have to say anything more, or you could explain why if you'd like. But on a scale from one to 10, what is your anxiety level right now? Would you type that into the comments right now? And your sharing 
can encourage somebody else. Now, I would say mine is somewhere between seven and 10. When I was first writing this message, I, I thought maybe I should kind of say a seven. I was actually feeling pressure to downplay it. But the truth is right now, my wife teaches and she goes to a classroom every day where she's exposed to COVID-19 and she hasn't been vaccinated yet. She's signed up, but there's been a slow rollout. And my boys are at home and, and they've both been affected by not seeing their friends as much during the shutdown. I'm working at home and, and I love them, but there, you know, there's some stress with working and parenting at the same time. We just had a failed coup attempt last year or last week at the Capitol building. And we're all feeling anxiety about the future of our country. I've had strained and, and even broken relationships over politics. And many of you have too. There are enormous causes of anxiety in our lives right now. What is that number for you? On a scale from one to 10, how much anxiety are you feeling? What is your anxiety level right now? Would you type that into the comments? You can elaborate and tell us why, or you can just type a number if you'd like. What is your anxiety level right now? I believe that what we are talking about today is one of the major causes of our anxiety right now. Disinformation and propaganda. Now, disinformation and propaganda have divided America. It's allowed the COVID-19 pandemic to be far worse than it should have been. And it has caused the loss of life and livelihoods. More than that, I believe that the primary way that, that disinformation and propaganda have been used throughout American history is to divide middle class and working class people against each other, usually by race, so that we don't address the economic inequality that America is prone to. And right now, we have the greatest economic inequality in our country since before the Great Depression whether it's the Civil War or the, the Gilded Age of the late 1800s or the 1920s that led to the Depression, or now, I believe the primary use of propaganda and disinformation in the United States is to divide most people who are working class and middle class people, usually using race to divide races against each other so that we don't look to the very top. And the reason that many of us have financial stress because of the, the vast economic inequality in the United States. Most stress is based on financial stress. And, and in my opinion, that is fueled in the United States by disinformation and propaganda. So I think for a, for a host of reasons, one of the primary causes of our anxiety right now is what we're talking about today. Moneyed interests produce disinformation and propaganda so that ordinary Americans stay divided against each other and we don't address the real causes of stress and financial inequality and anxiety in our culture. So as we talk about disinformation and propaganda today, I love this meme. I just saw this on, on, uh, on Facebook this week. Don't believe everything you read on the internet. Bob Dylan, drummer for Metallica. And if you're listening to the podcast and not watching, there's a picture of Prince. So I love it. Now, I would expand that to don't believe everything you see on the internet or TV or radio or any other you know, social media or any other method of 
communication. Let's begin with an obvious observation. If the alien lands in America, here's one of the first things they would observe. The internet, TV, and radio in America are riddled with disinformation and propaganda. Now let's just start with the obvious. Our society is full of disinformation. We are swimming in fake news, disinformation, and propaganda. By the way, that is an observation that every other country in the world is making about us right now. Our, our news media, our social media, internet, TV, radio is full of disinformation. Now, of course, disinformation and propaganda have always been a part of this country, but it has exponentially increased over the past 30 years or so. It didn't used to be this bad. As the meme goes, I'm old enough to remember when. Well, I'm old enough to remember when it wasn't this bad. There's a reason that there is so much disinformation now as opposed to 35 years ago. So when I was 16, back in the early 90s, my first job was being a bus monitor on a special ed bus in my school district. So every afternoon, the short bus would pull up to my school and I would get on and then we would, the bus driver and I would drive about a half an hour to the school where these elementary age students were who were in a special ed class. And we would pick these sweet little kids up and they would get on the bus. And then most of them lived on the other side of the county. So to drop all of them off took over an hour. So I was on the bus for about an hour and a half every afternoon, Monday through Friday. And then these little kids were on the bus for about an hour from their school, you know, by the time all of them were dropped off. And the bus driver was a lady who was, who was a nice lady. She was a kind person, to me at least. But every day, she had Rush Limbaugh on during the entire bus ride. Rush Limbaugh was new at that time on, on the radio. And every day, five days a week, I had to listen to Rush Limbaugh for an hour and a half. And these little kids with special needs had to listen to, to Rush Limbaugh for at least you know an hour for some of them. Now, I've thought... Is that why they needed a bus monitor? Think, think about just the, the voice, the cadence of Rush Limbaugh ranting about politics. And the, these kids are, are, who have special needs are on this long bus ride. Imagine if she had played classical music. Was the Rush Limbaugh show the reason I, that I was even needed to be a bus monitor, to help the kids get home safely. Imagine having to listen to that as a child for an hour every single day. So at 16, I didn't have the vocabulary that I have now or the view of the world that I have now, all the words to express what I thought. But at 16, as I had to listen to Rush Limbaugh every day, I remember thinking, you know, he's not being fair. He, he's not really telling both sides of the story. He's, he's only telling one side of the story. And he's being mean. He's calling people names. He's attacking people. He's using arguments that aren't really fair, that don't tell the whole story. And he's demonizing people. Like he has obvious, you know, enemies or an agenda to make certain people look bad and, and, and then other people can do no wrong. Even at 16, I was realizing, wait a second, this, this isn't true. This information is not, is not accurate. This is false information. 
that I'm hearing on this radio show for an hour and a half every day. Now, at that time, Rush Limbaugh was new. This was in the early 90s. His show had, had just taken off. And he was, at that time, the biggest voice for right-wing media. And there's a reason for that. For almost 50 years, from the invention of the radio and then TV till the late 80s, America had a law in place called the Fairness Doctrine. The Fairness Doctrine was a law that was meant to decrease biased media in the United States and promote journalism and fairness on American airwaves. At that time, radio and then later TV. It was uh, created by the Federal Communications Commission and introduced in 1949, and it required American broadcasters to do two things, to present controversial issues of public importance, and then secondly, to do so in a manner that was in the FCC's view, honest, equitable, and balanced. Its predecessor was a law called the Mayflower Doctrine that prohibited editorializing on the radio in 1941. And the 19, uh, sorry, the Columbia Law Review in 1948 stated the FCC believed that broadcasters had a duty to the public because of their position as gatekeepers of the news. A democratic society should provide maximum opportunity for everyone to express diverse viewpoints on controversial issues and equally important maximum opportunity to hear and read the conflicting view of others. The FCC was created during the FDR administration, and this was another goal to keep moneyed interests, to keep big business who had most of the money from controlling the airwaves by buying channels, buying networks, and manipulating public opinion for their own benefit. There was this recognition that if big money can just buy American airwaves, at that time radio and then later TV, then they can promote information that just serves their own interests that would lead to them gaining more money and more power. So we have to be able to regulate what is shared on American airwaves to make sure that yes, controversial issues are discussed, but they're discussed in a way that present more than one view. You, you, in, you, in other words, you can't just present one-sided information, obviously biased information, and then call that news. You had to present more than one view and then ex- respect the viewer's intelligence and let them decide. Well, the FCC eliminated the policy, the Fairness Doctrine, in 1987 during the Reagan administration and removed the rule that implemented the policy from the Federal Registrar in August of 2011. Still today, generally speaking, conservatives are against the Fairness Doctrine and progressives generally tend to be for it. Now, why do you think that is when it comes to corporations and and big money and business Interest. Why, why do you think the Mayflower Doctrine was passed in 1941 and the Fairness Doctrine was passed in 1949? Radio and TV were new, of course, but what was happening in the world during the 1930s and the 1940s that warned the world against biased media and disinformation and propaganda? Well, the Nazis became masters 
at spreading false information and pulled the war, or pulled the world into war using disinformation and propaganda. So the Fairness Doctrine was struck down in 1987. And then a little over 30 years later, here we are. There was an insurrectionist attempt at the Capitol last week. There was an insurrection at the Capitol building last week. An attempted coup at the U.S. Capitol last week. A little over 30 years after the the law was struck down that promoted fairness in U.S. media. Rush was the, the beginning. And then a few years later, we saw the beginning of Fox News. And Fox News used the slogan, interestingly, fair and balanced. Isn't that an interesting slogan? Knowing what you know about the fairness doctrine. And then, of course, now Fox News is not right-wing enough for some folks. And so Trump has promoted OAN and Newsmax. And we have this proliferation of biased media and disinformation in the United States. And of course, the the progressive counterpoints are MSNBC and CNN. I'm not saying that those are equivalent. I believe that would be false equivalence. I don't think they're equivalent in their influence or the damage they do to the United States. But an observer would, would say about America, America is full of disinformation. So our scripture today is one that you could quote even if you're not a church person. It's, it's from the Ten Commandments. It's the Ninth Commandment, actually. And most people, without even knowing what the King James is, could probably quote it from the King James Version. The old King James says, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. In, in the more modern NIV, let's read it together. Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. This is the Ninth Commandment. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. So the first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God. You shall not have uh, any other gods before me. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And then the last six commandments have to do with our relationships with each other. How we're going to interact as a community, or even though there were no countries or nations when this was written, of course you can apply it. How are we going to interact as a country, as a people, with each other? The last six commandments are about our relationships with each other. And so you have honor your parents, don't murder, don't commit adultery, uh, don't steal, don't covet, which means to want things that your neighbor has, to be envious and want their things. And then this is the ninth commandment. And this commandment has to do with how we behave in court, in the justice system. But of course, it's bigger than that. The the Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann writes, the courtroom must be a place where the truth is told and where social reality is not distorted through devious manipulation or ideological perversion. It is remarkable in this list of prohibitions that concern the sanctity of human life, the mystery of sexuality, and the maintenance of property. The courts should be so prominent. The prohibition, however, is a recognition that community life is not possible unless there is an arena in which there is public confidence that social reality will be reliably described and reported. The neighbor is not to be used by lying in order to enhance one's own interest. 
Community requires drawing a line against private interest in order to make social relations workable. Do you think America could use that view of truth-telling right now? We cannot experience community without members of the community being committed to telling the truth. When members of the community distort reality, I love the way he puts that, and, and pervert reality and break down trust, we cannot survive as a community together without trust. Doesn't that seem to describe where the United States is right now? Last week I talked about how I was affected by seeing the woman shot in the Capitol as she was trying to break into a chamber in the Capitol. We were processing our emotions around the Capitol last week, making those, those statements, I felt the emotion when whatever we saw that produced that emotion in us. And I said that I, I felt this sense of profound grief when I saw that woman shot. I watched the video of her shooting probably 10 times because I was, I was cut to the heart when I saw that because she died needlessly because she believed a lie. The lie that this presidential election was stolen from the current president, despite the fact that he lost by over 7 million votes and almost 60 court cases, found no election fraud, and the Supreme Court, three members uh, of which were appointed by him, refused to even hear the case. And I, I went to her Twitter feed. Turns out she's a, she was a 35-year-old woman from San Diego named Ashley Babbitt. And on her Twitter feed, she often retweeted uh, statements made by proponents of the QAnon conspiracy. And her last several tweets were in praise of, of Trump supporters storming Washington, D.C. And they called it the storm. I guess that's part of the conspiracy that they were going to storm the, the government and, and take over. And one day before she died, she tweeted celebratory, you know, in a celebratory way, there are Trump supporters all over D.C. right now. And I watched some other videos that she posted on Facebook ranting against immigrants to the United States and, and even at times incoherently. It was, hard to, it was hard to follow all of her conspiratorial beliefs. And I was struck with grief that she died for a lie because the president bore false witness against his neighbor, claiming that the election was stolen from him and that he was somebody who a few years ago was a game show host. We call it reality TV, but it's not reality. It's really just another form of a game show, The Apprentice. And, and, and he entered into politics sharing a conspiracy and he's ending his presidency sharing a conspiracy. And this woman died for the host of The Apprentice because he bore false witness against his neighbor. Now let's define terms. Let's define disinformation and propaganda and talk about how followers of Jesus can obey the ninth commandment. 
and not bear false witness against our neighbor and how we can survive as a country all of this disinformation and propaganda. So I'm going to use definitions from an organization called the National Endowment for, for Democracy, which is a U.S. government-sponsored organization that was actually proposed by Reagan in 1982 to promote democracy around the world and, of course, promote American interests around the world. But I'm going to use their definitions. And this is from an, an article entitled Distinguishing Disinformation from Propaganda, Misinformation, and Fake News. It was published on October 17, 2017 by Dean Jackson uh, for the International Forum for Democratic Studies. He says, disinformation is a newer term than propaganda. Some might say they're synonyms, but there there are differences. So the NED article defines propaganda like this. Propaganda is intentionally spreading false information or relying on non-rational means of persuasion. So propaganda is is based on a a lie. It's intentional. It's a lie. And it it doesn't even make sense. It's non-rational. You might think of propaganda as the big lie, which is an expression coined by Adolf Hitler in his book Mein Kampf in 1925, when he described how he wanted to use propaganda. And the point of the big lie was to tell a lie in his words that is so colossal that no one will think you're making it up because as Hitler said, no one would believe that someone could have the impudence to distort the truth so infamously. In other words, people would find it hard to believe that somebody could be so evil as to make up a lie this terrible and this big. So Hitler said, make up a lie that is so big, there are people who would think nobody could ever make that up. Nobody would be evil or crazy enough to make up that lie. Hitler said, that's the kind of lie you want to make up. And then The big lie in Nazi Germany was that Jews were responsible for Germany losing in World War II, which didn't even make sense. It was was a way of scapegoating Jews, of blaming somebody, which of course led to the Holocaust. The big lie now is being purported by the President of the United States, that he won the election, even though that's just patently false and absurd and verifiably proven false. But that's the big lie. And then Hitler's propaganda minister, Joseph Goebbels, wrote a piece of propaganda against England in which he gave himself away and how he promotes the big lie. Goebbels said that when one lies, one should lie big and stick to it. In other words, you make up this colossal lie that's so big, lots of people would think nobody could possibly make that up even though it's absurd and non-rational. And then Gorbel said, you just repeat it over and over and over again. You never tell the truth. You make up the big lie and then you just stick to it. And there are people who against all rationality will believe that big lie. That's propaganda. Propaganda is non-rational. It doesn't make sense. It's intentional and it's based on a lie. So the Trump presidency began with a big lie. Do you remember what it was? It was birtherism, that Obama was not born in the United States, in the United States, which is absurd because you don't have to be born in America to be an American. If one of your parents is an American, no matter where you're born, you're an American. John McCain was not born in the United States. Ted Cruz was not born in the United States. 
Obama was born in Hawaii, but even had he been born somewhere else, his mom was an American, so he was an American, and he was uh, qualified to be president of the United States, but that big lie was racially motivated, of course, because Obama is black. That, that lie meant, was meant to make Obama different, the other, and say he doesn't belong here. He's not a real American. So that's how the Trump presidency began, with a big lie. And now, it's, of course, it's ending with a big lie that he won the election. Now, some of you thinking, or some of you watching might be thinking, you know, Ryan's a pastor, and this is a church service. Why is Ryan talking so much about Trump? Isn't that, isn't that too political? As we're going to see later in, in the message, there is a, there's a way that followers of Jesus need to respond to propaganda and disinformation. And if we do not confront it and call it out and name it for what it is, we are helping to promote it. One of the struggles that many of us have felt, including me, over the past several years is, I don't want to talk about politics all the time in church. I really don't. Prior to a few years ago, I didn't talk about politics in sermons. It was only when same-sex marriage became a defining issue, and I stood for welcoming everybody in full participation into the church. I talked about it then. I didn't talk about McCain versus Obama or Romney versus Obama. I didn't... I didn't criticize presidents until Trump arrived on the scene and began telling lies. So as followers of Jesus, I'll just, I'll just speak personally for me. I believe it's my responsibility, especially now, as it has been clearly revealed what the results of all of this lying is, especially at the Capitol last week. We need to speak up and call it what it is even if there are some people who are offended by that. I'm not criticizing Democrats or Republicans, the, the, what they normally mean in, in America. I'm not taking sides or telling people how to vote. I'm calling propaganda what it is, and I'm naming the source of it. That's where I'm coming from as I talk about this this morning. And I think it's important for us to realize as followers of Jesus Christ in America, God is not handing out awards for coddling authoritarians and helping them spread propaganda. There are people who, who think, well, Christians should just remain neutral or a pastor should just remain neutral. Once again, if this were a normal time in American history, I would not be talking about it. But I, I see propaganda and I see what that propaganda is about. It's racially motivated, and it's leading towards authoritarianism, if not fascism, in the United States. And that's why I'm calling it out as plainly as I am. That's propaganda. Disinformation can be something different. And I appreciate what the, the National Endowment for Democracy says about disinformation and the difference between disinformation and propaganda. Let's, let's read. Analysts generally agree that disinformation is always purposeful and not necessarily composed of outright lies or fabrications. Propaganda is based on the big lie. Disinformation can be different. It can be composed of mostly true facts, 
stripped of context or blended with falsehoods to support the intended message and is always part of a larger plan or agenda. So propaganda is just based on a big lie that is non-rational. Disinformation doesn't have to be based on a big lie. It can be mostly true, but twisted, slanted, coupled with false information to support the intended message, to support the agenda. The NED goes on, disinformation is the intentional spread of misleading information and uses falsehoods and emotional appeals not to persuade or attract, but watch this, to disrupt, divide, confuse, or otherwise damage target audiences' understanding or political cohesion. That's so insidious. So propaganda is just based on a big non-rational lie. Disinformation can be largely truth, but distorted, slanted, taken out of context, mixed with misinformation. And it has the intentional uh, purpose of deceiving the target audience, but it's, it's more than just deception. It's to confuse them. It's to muddy the waters so that lots of people are just not sure what to believe anymore. The NED goes on, one popular distinction between propaganda and disinformation holds that disinformation also describes politically motivated messaging designed explicitly to engender public cynicism, uncertainty, apathy, distrust, and paranoia, all of which disincentivize citizen engagement and mobilization for social or political change. Disinforma disinformation is meant to confuse you, to make you cynical. Like, oh, we just don't know who to trust anymore. Who can know what's right anymore? What are facts anymore? What's true? What's real? And make you apathetic, to make you stop caring, and to make you believe that you are helpless that you can't do anything about our situation, that you can't get involved in public life, you can't make a difference because who knows what to believe anyway, and to make you paranoid and, and, and promote both sides-ism and whataboutism, and, and to, to just act like, well, you know, one, one person just promotes outright lies and propaganda, the other side, they have some disinformation, but both of those sides are equal, and to see no nuance and to muddy the waters to the point that you're discouraged and you give up. And that means you let the people with the money and the power who are spreading the propaganda and the disinformation win. And they gain more money and power because they've used propaganda and disinformation not, not only to lie to you, but to, to, to discourage you from even participating at all. You understand why that commandment made it into the top 10. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Think about the damage that has been done in this country to real people, to you, to people you know, because of this insidious agenda to spread propaganda and disinformation. Propaganda mobilizes mobs but disinformation creates the oxygen they breathe. Propaganda is like the shark 
And disinformation is the, is the ocean that it swims in. And we are a society full of propaganda and disinformation to the extent that there was an attack on the Capitol last week in which one police officer was beaten with a flagpole while people sang the Star Spangled Banner and another officer was killed when a mob threw a fire extinguisher and hit him in the head with it. Wearing Christian t-shirts with Bible verses on them and waving the American flag and the Confederate flag at the same time and a Jesus saves flag. That's what disinformation and propaganda has done in this country. So how do we as followers of Jesus combat disinformation and propaganda? Survive it, but combat it and take it, take it on and stand for the truth. As people who don't want to bear false witness, we want to stand for the truth. Well, I think the ninth commandment tells us you stand for the truth and you engage in public life. If, if disinformation and propaganda is meant to spread a lie and discourage you from participating at all, well, then you do the opposite. You stand for the truth and you get engaged in public life. And I know many of you did get involved in, in the last election. You donated, you volunteered to make calls or send texts to mobilize voters. And you, you made social media posts, which I think are important. You shared your views. You had conversations with friends and family and church people about what's happening in our country. And maybe in the past, like me, you would not have talked about it that much. If it were, if it were the kind of the normal Democrat versus Republican you know, election, maybe you, know, you would vote, but you wouldn't be that involved. But you, you now see how vital it is that we get involved to oppose disinformation and propaganda and stand for the truth. But there's more to it than that. Because if you're anything like me, where a lot of us are right now is we're trying to figure out how do we relate to people? Yeah, Facebook friends and also our family members and friends or coworkers who are spreading disinformation and propaganda that is now actively leading an insurrection in the United States. It didn't stop last week. It's continuing to be promoted and we don't know what the future holds. And so we're asking, how, how do we deal with this right now? How, how do I confront this, in, this disinformation and propaganda in, in my social media feed? Or how do I confront it with family members? And we're experiencing the anxiety of that and strained relationships because of that. And so I wanted to close with the story of a lady in our congregation that I think is an inspiring example when facing personal pain that is caused by disinformation and propaganda, how to address it, but address it with wisdom. And I think it answers you know, some of the questions that we're, that we're asking right now. So last year, it was actually in the fall of 2019, I gave a series called Crazy Train about the insanity of the times we're living in and how you know, we're tempted to think that we're crazy at times because of all the gaslighting and the disinformation and the propaganda. And the first message in that series was called Anti-Social Media. And I, I talked about media bias, I talked about the Fairness Doctrine. And one of the things I challenged our congregation to do was to go on a four-week uh, 
biased media fast. We looked at the biased media chart that's, that's uh, published every year about media in the United States, and whether they're right wing or left wing, or, or they try to be fair and, and unbiased. And, and a lady in our congregation came up to me and she had her phone in her hand. And she shared with me, first of all, that she was going to you know, take me up on the, the media fast. And she had deleted any biased media apps from her phone. And she only had apps and you know, news apps on her, on her phone that were from organi- you know, by organizations that, um, that are trying to be as unbiased as possible. And she shared that, especially over the last few years, her marriage has been strained because of disinformation and propaganda. Her husband holds political views that are opposite of hers. But it's not just that, but he shares disinformation. And then the way that he expressed that to her was condescending to her. So he would share his beliefs and then he would discount her beliefs. And she said it had gotten to the point where it had strained their marriage and it was taking its toll on her and her emotional health. She had tears in her eyes as she described to me what her marriage had become. We we talked for a few minutes and my heart went out to her. She is she's an incredibly intelligent, wise person. And she had showed me the apps on her phone. She as as an example of what she was going to do. Number one, she was going to eliminate biased media from her consumption so that she could have views that were as clear as possible and fair as possible. That was the first thing she was going to do. And then the second thing she did was she had a conversation with her husband. And she said to him, it's fine that we disagree, but what you are sharing and the way that you are sharing it is not respectable, respectful of me and it's not good for our marriage. And if you continue that, we're not going to be able to talk about politics anymore. Now, some of you might think, well, she disengaged. If she's not talking with him about it, then she's disengaging. No, 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 no. It's the opposite of that. She explained to him why she wasn't going to talk about it anymore. First of all, she decided she was only going to consume fair media that's attempting to be unbiased so she could have as clear views as possible. And then she decided to draw boundaries and actually tell him why they were not going to interact about politics anymore. I know lots of us have probably blocked people on social media and and there can be this line where maybe it's worth explaining to them why and or or maybe it's not. Or maybe there are people in in your social media uh, network and you're just seeing disinformation and propaganda spread every day by them. And you're wondering, what do I do? Do I confront every single one? Do I just unfriend them? How how do I handle it? I think her example uh, is is helpful. Perhaps what it means is a conversation with that person or a message to that person to say, you are spreading information that is false. You are spreading disinformation and propaganda that is hurting the United States. And I'm not going to interact with it I'm not going to promote it by sharing it. And I believe that it's even beneath having a conversation about. And so I'm going to block you 
for that reason. For some people, they think that's just, that's too much conflict. I would say that's standing for the truth and that's engaging. Instead of just ghosting them or disappearing, we're actually explaining why. And we're letting that person know, we're confronting them, we're engaging them in their disinformation and propaganda and explaining why I'm just not gonna be a part of this. And of course, what that also does is it also doesn't require you to engage with every social media post you see and, and, and have to quit your job and spend your entire life fighting disinformation and propaganda. Because there are some pieces of disinformation and propaganda that, are, that just don't need to be dignified by a conversation. But standing for the truth and engaging might look like engaging them long enough to say, you're spreading propaganda and disinformation and I'm not gonna be a part of it. And your refusal to interact with disinformation and propaganda, that's engaging as well. I thought her example could be very helpful and healthy for many of us right now. Engaging doesn't have to mean that you're arguing with every single post you see, but it can mean that you stand up and you tell that person why you're not going to dignify that, that disinformation with a conversation. So for people who want to follow Jesus and be thinking Christians in a country that is full of disinformation and propaganda, we stand for the truth and we engage in public life. We donate, we vote, of course, but we donate and we volunteer we, for campaigns. We volunteer, we sign petitions, we get involved. And it also means that you can make your own views known to people who are spreading disinformation and propaganda without dignifying all of it with a conversation every single time. Disinformation and propaganda are lies that are intentionally meant to harm you and make you feel discouraged and confused and helpless. Even if it's a lot of truth mixed with a lie or slanted or biased, it's meant to discourage you from public life so that you'll let powerful and moneyed interests just have their way in our country and steamroll you. But people who want to follow Jesus and stand for the truth, recognize disinformation and propaganda for what it is, and we refuse to let it work. It's meant to confuse us and discourage us. So instead, we stand for the truth and we get engaged. We're not helpless. We stand for the truth and we get involved and we promote the truth. I invite you to pray with me. God, thank you for a simple scripture, but it's a command that made it into the top 10 for a reason. Because as Walter Brueggemann said, communities cannot survive if there are members of that community that are distorting reality to one another, that are promoting lies for their own selfish interests. God, those lies are tearing this country apart to the extent that those lies are now fueling an insurrection. 
we never thought we would be here. But 30 plus years of propaganda and disinformation on, through the internet and on TV and, and the radio have brought us to this point. Especially as people who want to follow Jesus Christ, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and who said, the truth will set you free. We want to be people who stand for the truth, and we refuse to bear false witness against our neighbors. We want to protect our own minds against biased media and disinformation and propaganda. And at the same time, we want to stand up to disinformation and propaganda when when we encounter it. That doesn't mean that we argue with every single Facebook post or that we take the bait and argue with every person in our family or friends who, who want to promote disinformation and propaganda. Perhaps it means having one conversation with them to say, you're promoting disinformation and propaganda that is hurting this country, and I'm not going to engage with it, and my refusal to engage with it speaks loudly to you. My silence speaks louder than words. I'm not going to dignify this disinformation and propaganda with a conversation. Perhaps that will help to lower our anxiety levels as we stand for the truth. And God, we thank you for this clear guidance that not only makes community possible, that makes marriages possible, that makes friendships possible, if both people will abide by it, but it will save America. Thank you that we have the privilege of standing for the truth.